Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, Lighthouse. It's uh, wonderful to be here uh, with our family here at the Lighthouse. Uh, my name is Larry Sewell. I am one of the elders uh, here at the uh, church. And uh, thanks for that update on building to change lives. It's a wonderful time in the, in the time of the church as we think about a ministry center up on County Road 99. Uh, Debbie and I travel now and then, and as we travel around, we often go to church uh, wherever we are on Sunday morning. And I tell you what, without saying anything negative, it's uh, I always like coming back home. You know, I like coming back to Lighthouse uh, where the Bible is taught and where the friends are here. Um, over the last five years, I've listened pretty intently as people have talked about why it is they come to Lighthouse. And one of the things that is a continual theme, and they, you know, nobody has to say this, they just say it because, is because this is a place where they, they sense God's Holy Spirit. They sense that this is a family that accepts them uh, into church, and uh, it's a place that they can explore and discover God together. And that's uh, kind of the things we hear all the time from people uh, when they talk about Lighthouse. Uh, Lighthouse is a place where all kinds of people uh, from all different walks of life are truly welcome, and we're glad that you're here, whether you're here in person, whether you're here on the live stream. Uh, We're glad uh, that you're here this morning. You know, Debbie and I have uh, been a gi- givers to lots of different campaigns uh, over time, and we were making a really substantial gift to the Building to Change Lives campaign. Part of that's already happened. Part of it was uh, cash for the land and, and part of the cash balance. But then also, uh, we've made a pledge uh, for future donations to the Changing to Life campaign. I sincerely hope that everyone who calls Lighthouse home will consider jumping into the vision for County Road 99. This might be actually one of those times in life uh, where, where you get to be part of something that's so much larger than yourself. You can be part of something, seeing uh, the Holy Spirit of God work in a remarkable way uh, among us. And I hope you'll take that jump and, and think about engaging in the Building to Change Lives campaign. Today we're continuing in our series called The God of the promise, some selected passages uh, from the book of Isaiah. And this week will be in Isaiah chapter 53. And while you're clicking in your Bibles over there, uh, I'd like to tell you just a brief true story about myself from way back when I was in fifth grade. Now, you may look at me and say, what can that old guy remember about fifth grade? But I remember very, very clearly uh, a teacher that I had in fifth grade. Her name was Mrs. Wagner. Now, the thing you may not know is up until that point in time, I was failing in elementary school. I was not doing well at all. I remember uh, Mrs. Heideman, a teacher I had, and she would yell at us, and then she would beg us to do better, you know, and it just didn't work at all. Just a terrible teacher. And then I had Mrs. Jackson, and Mrs. Jackson, she didn't care about math or reading that much. We did art all the time. That's all we did. We learned to paint, okay? It was a terrible time, and I just wasn't learning at all. And I remember my mother, she marched into the principal's office, and she demanded that I be put in Mrs. Wagner's class. Now, Mrs. Wagner was this this short, uh, really, really petite, very feisty woman, okay? Most people were afraid of Mrs. Wagner. They didn't know her, and they were afraid of this woman. And my mother marched in and said, my son is going to be in Mrs. Wagner's class. 
And so I was in Mrs. Wagner's class. I was a little afraid. I went in. And I remember uh, the most remarkable change that happened to me when I was in Mrs. Wagner's class. I went from failing at school to being a very good student in one year. It just happened really quickly. And as I think back about that, it's like, why did things change so remarkably when I changed classes to a new teacher? And I think what it was is that everything became very, very clear. Mrs. Wagner was a pure teacher. That was her, her character. That was her DNA. And once I understood that, and I figured out how to relate to Mrs. Wagner, all of a sudden I started doing very well in school. You could say this, that her character as a teacher was becoming very, very clear, and her students responded to that. We knew, we knew exactly what to expect. Now, kids that were on the outside of that class, they were still afraid of Mrs. Wagner, okay? But the kids in the class weren't afraid because we knew her. We knew her character, we knew what was expected, we knew what uh, she liked, what she didn't like, and we did really well. In fact, I can still do math because of Mrs. Wagner. <laughs> and this is the crossover, okay? God has revealed his character to us in the pages of the scriptures. We can know him. And when we know God, it changes virtually everything. Plenty of people think plenty of different things about what God is like. Sometimes it's just something that comes up in their imagination and what they think and what they believe becomes real for them. But it has nothing to do with what God has revealed about himself in the pages of Scripture. He has uh, uh, told us about himself such that uh, he's not unpredictable. He's not hard to understand. He's actually told us about himself in great clarity in the Scripture. God invites us into his classroom to know him in, in, in clarity. In fact, uh, in the Bible, it, the Bible equates knowing God in a personal way with eternal life, actual fundamental knowledge of God. Last year, I read through the book of Isaiah uh, multiple times, just reading through it, reading through it, and studying what God had said about himself through the prophet Isaiah. And about the third trip through, I realized that the character of God, the very heart of God, is on open display in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah, in the first century, he's a, or, the, or uh, way back in the first chapter, uh, he's, he's a prophet of God. He's, he's a spokesperson for God. He's, he's saying what God has told him to say. Also in the, chapter, the first chapter of the book, we find that um, God is lamenting people who uh, go their own way, people that, that don't even understand or accept or, or believe in his care for them, people that had gone their own way and had missed the goodness of God. L uh, Isaiah laments that fact that people are going their way and missing God completely. When we get to Isaiah chapter 53, what we find there is that we come, we come face to face with the extent of God's heart for people. We come face to face with God's care for you and his care for me. Now let's pray together and then we'll read Isaiah chapter 53. God, I am so thankful for your abundant grace. It's shown to us in the Old Testament, 
It's showed to us in the New Testament that we can know you. It's not complicated, it's not hidden, but that we can know you in great clarity. I pray uh, this morning that as we think about your character, about who you are and what you've done, I pray just for one thing, it's the thing I always pray for, that you would give us open hearts and minds that we would know you in great clarity. Amen. Let's read Isaiah chapter 53 uh, together. The words will be up on the screen. I'm just going to read through it slowly. And uh, just kind of think through uh, what the prophet had said uh, concerning Jesus, the suffering Savior, uh, 700 years before the birth of Christ. This is what he says. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant, Jesus, grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, It was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles and his punishments was from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own, and yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal and was put in a rich man's grave. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that he has accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. I will give him honor as the victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Jesus prayed for us at the end there. We can't say everything this morning that could be said from Isaiah chapter 53. It's one of the best known passages from the Old Testament. But I would like to put some comments around three different topics today. The first is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Second is the suffering servant Jesus, our Savior, and finally, uh, salvation and hope. So the first point, God is sovereign. 
Now, the sovereignty of God, what that means is that God has both the authority and the capacity to do anything that he wishes. God has the authority and the capacity to do all that he wishes. God has an eternal plan, and his eternal plan will come to pass. Now, we might agree with that statement. God is all-powerful. God can do what he wants. His plan is going to come to pass. However, it also makes us ask questions. For instance, I ask this question. If God is all-powerful, and if God is all in, in control of everything, all things in this world, uh, why is Ukraine happening? Why is there evil in the world? On a personal basis, I ask this question. Why am I tempted as a believer to still go my own way and to ignore God and move in directions that are contrary to what he's, he's said? And it can be confusing when we try to think about the sovereignty of God who's all-powerful, and yet we see all around us that evil exists in our world. How do we reconcile those two things and come to consensus of some kind that we can live through that? How do we understand all that? Why is there sin in this world? I think some perspectives on God's nature and how sovereignty works is helpful to me anyway to understand how this all works. And my thoughts go back to the beginning, to creation. When God created us, he created us in his image. And the first thing he gave uh, to, to, to people to do is, is a job, to name the animals, to uh, dominate and to, and to operate the world, to run the earth, right? He gave us creativity. He gave us the ability to plan. He gave us the ability to make decisions. But with all that, created in the image of God, he also gave us the ability to make choices. And we can make choices that are contrary to God himself. He gave us, in his sovereign plan for the universe, he gave us the capacity to make choices knowing that we were going to choose against him. We were going to choose sin instead. He didn't cause Adam to sin in the garden. He doesn't cause me to sin. But he didn't create pre-programmed robots either. He, pre he created us with choice and the ability to make decisions. He created us in his image, but we also have the capacity to walk in independence from God. Now, my ability to choose and to go my own way doesn't mean that God lacks power. In fact, God is sovereign. He has the authority to do whatever he wants. In fact, he bends history to reach his ultimate goals. And yet at the same time, uh, I have the ability to choose. Sometimes we forget that there is a literal and real spiritual war that's going on all around us. Somehow, that spiritual war all exists within the sovereign plan of God. Satan and his hosts are not fairy tales, but they're very, very real, leading people away from God. And in his patience, God gives people time to repent of their sins and to turn to him for, in belief uh, for forgiveness and for reconciliation with God. But it's true that we are not a, a, a pawn on the chessboard of life. We have choice, and we can choose to walk away from God. Isaiah is very focused on the character of God. He speaks theologically. He speaks a great truth that's exposed in the Scripture for us to understand. And he answers the question 
very clearly what God is like. As you read through the book of Isaiah, you see these little snippets of the character of God and what this sovereign God that we worship is actually like and what he thinks and what he feels and what he wants us to know. In fact, if, if you're questioning what God is really like, Isaiah is a great place to read because it's exposed in such clarity. I'd like to expose a couple things about the sovereignty of God uh, from my study through the book of Isaiah. Uh, first of all, God is holy. God is completely separate from sin. Okay? He is offended by religious ritual when it conceals an empty heart and a careless life. He doesn't like hypocrisy at all. God is against all those things. In chapter 1 of Isaiah, it comes out in such poignant language. It's just so clear what uh, Isaiah is saying as he exposes uh, him, the, the character of God himself. He says this, um, when you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all of your ceremony? This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Stop bringing me meaningless gifts of incense. It, it disgusts me. That's what God is saying through the prophet. As for your celebrations and your new moon and your Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they're all, um, they're all sinful. They're false. I don't want any more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations, your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. I mean, how much more clear can it be? I mean, he says this, when you lift up your hands in prayer, I don't even look. You offer me many prayers, but I don't listen because your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. And he, and he asks them to come, wash your hands, be clean, get sin out of my sight, get out of your evil ways. I mean, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's exposing the heart of God. God is angry with sin. His wrath over sin should be, a, should be feared above anything else in our lives. God is angry about sin every day. It's not a casual thing in the mind of God. God opposes human pride and self-direction and idolatry. All these things flow from the book of Isaiah. And yet, with all that being true, God is also bending everything in life to his ultimate glory. In fact, God will always have a true people for himself, people from every nation and language and tribe and tongue who will worship him forever. God always preserves a remnant of genuine believers who follow him. God, the one who's angry about sin, is also the author of hope, the author of salvation. And we see in Isaiah these prophetic references to Jesus that, that underline that whole thing. God desires people who will walk with him with inner repentance and in, in, in an authentic relationship more than anything else. So the first point is this, God is sovereign. We learn that in the pages of Isaiah. He has revealed himself in the scriptures and we can know him. God's not arbitrary. God's not hard to understand. He's revealed himself in the clarity of scripture. The second point today is this, Jesus, the suffering servant, makes a way for people to come to God. Consider Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. That'll be up on the screen. It's a crazy verse. Even before God made the world, 
God loved you and God loved me. And God chose you and God chose me in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This is saying that sin did not catch God by surprise. In fact, God knew about sin before the creation of the world, all the way back. Somehow in God's sovereign plan, he understood about sin and planned for Jesus to pay for our sin even before he created the world. All-knowing God knew all of this. You have to pause a moment and think about this. God in the flesh, Jesus, the suffering servant who would become our Savior. Uh, We're talking about God on the cross. That's what we're talking about here. I'd like to go down through some of the verses from the prophecy Isaiah from chapter 52 and chapter 53, realizing that these were written 700 years before Jesus was on the scene. Okay, these are predictions. These are prophecies of something to come. Okay, and just kind of walk through some of those and then talk about uh, the experience of Jesus in the New Testament. Starting with chapter 52, verse 14, his face was so disfigured that it seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, no one, uh, one would scarcely know that he was even a man. Perhaps you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And that movie uh, depicted the Roman crucifixion. They would beat a person uh, until he was almost dead before nailing him to a cross to be displayed publicly and people could watch him die in horror. That's what the Romans did. That's what their character was about. Perhaps they did that to remain power over the people. I'm not sure. Um, But I remember we were talking about this passage and the passages from Isaiah and putting together the preaching series for this this series. And there was a person in our church, a, a man that we were... I was talking with, and I could, I could see in his, his body language, and I could hear in his voice as he was reading through Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, and he was coming face to face with what God had done for him. And it was clarifying in his mind uh, how much God hates sin, but that he's created a solution through Jesus that we can have forgiveness and we can have real life. Chapter 53, verse 53, uh, verse 3. He was despised. He was rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him. We looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Jesus was rejected by the Jews. In fact, the Jewish leaders should have been the first people to recognize Jesus on the scene. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the prophecies. And yet... They turn their back on Jesus. You know, in my little world, my self-directed world, I like to define sin myself, you know, where I'm always the hero and I'm always innocent, right? That's how I like to define sin. But, you know, God in his character hates sin. God in his character is perfectly just. And the penalty for sin is death. It's separation from God for eternity, Not just physical death in this world, but uh, an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. Jesus experienced the deepest possible grief and rejection from the ones, the very people that he came to save. They rejected him. Verse uh, 5, 
He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Jesus was my substitute on the cross. He had never sinned. He was, he was paying for my sin. You know, it's impossible to read the book of Isaiah and understand who Jesus is and what God has done for us and maintain a casual relationship with sin. It's just really hard to do when you understand the depth of what God has done. He died so that I could be made whole. He died so that I could be forgiven. He died so that I could be healed. I'm going to skip ahead to um, verse 10 at this point. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. This is one of the hardest verses for me to wrap my head around in Scripture. It was God's sovereign, eternal plan that Jesus would be crushed for my sin. That's what Isaiah is saying to us. Jesus is the eternal one with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? He not only entered this world, okay, the world that through, through him had been created, okay, but he subjected himself uh, to death. He died so that we could live. It was God's plan to crush Jesus so that my debt could be paid. And we see grace in this verse also, in the last part. He made an offering for sin, and he will have many descendants. Uh, God describes Christians as brothers and sisters, children of God, heirs of God, you could say, eternal descendants of God. Back in 1988, some of you know that Debbie and I lost a son. A son was born between our two daughters, Aaron and Bethany, and we lost the son. He was just an infant. He only lived for a few days. Sometimes that thought to me is close at hand. You know, it's 1988. It's a really long time ago. And yet sometimes it kind of crushes in as I think about the loss of my son. And when I, when I think about this story, I, I know it's different between God the Father and God the Son than a, than a human father and a human son. I know that. Yet at the same time, I ask this question. I just can't even grasp how God would give his son for those who are rebelling against him. And yet that's exactly what the gospel story is. God gave everything. He gave his one son, his one and only son, so that those who rebelled against God could have freedom and could have forgiveness and could walk with God in an authentic way. God wants us to walk with him in freedom and in forgiveness. This is the story of God's grace. Omnipotent, all-powerful God subjecting himself to death for salvation of you and salvation of me. This is, this is the mysterious plan of sovereign God as it's talked about here in Isaiah. Now it's important to know that this plan was written in the book of Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ. As I was looking at this, I came across a fact from the Dead Sea Scrolls, 
NIV, uh, those are the people that do the study Bible, uh, had done some research on the, the findings of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in 1947, they found the first of the scrolls, and one of those was a scroll from Isaiah. And this is what it says. This monumental discovery, one of the first scrolls recovered, and one of the only scrolls, scrolls that was almost entirely intact, it's significant because it's 24 feet long. This particular scroll is estimated to be between 2,350 and 2,100 years old. It contains all 66 chapters of Isaiah in the same order as was previously discovered, and it's more than 1,000 years older than the next manuscript that they had. You have to understand what this is saying. This is saying that the prophecies of Isaiah that have come true in exquisite detail in Jesus were written before Jesus was born. Okay. This is God, the Holy Spirit, leading Isaiah to write these things down before the birth of Jesus and discovered in 1947. The third point I'd like to talk about from this passage today is that salvation and hope come only through Jesus. One of the most uh, memorized verses from all the Old Testament is Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's good path to follow our own. And the Lord laid on him, on Jesus, the sins of us all. At Lighthouse, we tend to describe sin in a very broad way. It's me going my own way, as opposed to breaking this rule or that rule but an affront to God's character as I go my own way. Kind of a broad definition of sin. And what this is saying is that God took my sin of rebellion, my self-will, and he laid that on Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sin. Verse 11 says this, When we see all that is accomplished he will be satisfied because of his experience. My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. God is satisfied with the work of Jesus. The payment for sin before a righteous judge has been paid. When you think about the, the plan of God, the sovereign plan of God across time from Genesis to Revelation, you know, you have God walking in the garden in the cool of the day in the beginning, looking for people, right? But Adam and Eve had sinned, and they're, they're separating themselves from God in their, in their way of self-leadership. Adam starts that precedent, you know, that precedent of us pushing back against God and going our own way. And the law comes, and the law teaches us that nobody, nobody can live up to the standard that God has set you know, you look at the Ten Commandments and we all realize that we've failed to be perfect in front of God. We can't do that. We look at the nation of Israel through the Old Testament and they continually fall into sin and then they repent and they fall into sin and they go to captivity and it's long and it's hard and it's just on and on and on it goes as they continue to stumble around unable to find God on their own. But then you see this intervention this intervention, and, and it's, everything changes. It's like when I went to Mrs. Wagner's class and school was different than it was before. Jesus dies as my substitute. He takes my sin. He rises from the dead, and he shows that death is no longer a foe to be feared. 
And the promised Holy Spirit comes, that which was prophesied in the Old Testament. We are living in that era today, and we see the presence of the Holy Spirit and people coming to faith and saying yes to Jesus. And at the end, prophesied by Isaiah and prophesied by others, um, we see it in the book of Revelation that once again, people will walk with God. The language is this, I will be their God and they shall be my people. The language from Genesis shows up in Revelation. The tree of life, remember the tree of life in Genesis? It shows up again in Revelation when God makes all things new. Why did Jesus die on the cross? He died on the cross so that God could have a people for himself, people that were forgiven, people that were standing in right standing with God, reconciled to God so that the mystery of the gospel could be declared in the world among those who are lost, so that there could be freedom from sin, there could be forgiveness and reconciliation with God, and that we could have the capacity to actually know him and to actually walk with him. All things will be restored at the end. We are saved from our sin and from ourselves, by the blood of Jesus. Now, what is the appropriate response to what we've just talked about from Isaiah chapter 53? Well, for believers, I think an appropriate response is uh, reflection and thanksgiving. Reflection and thanksgiving. Maybe even worship of the one true God who has given everything for us. That would be one response. For a not yet believer, another response might be confession and repentance, turning to this God who has given all to save you from your sin. Uh, At Lighthouse, we have a habit of uh, prayer, and I'm going to ask the prayer leaders that they would be in the four corners of the room. Um, Whether you have a prayer of thanksgiving, you want to thank God for what he has done in your life and for you. Uh, Maybe it's a prayer of confession, where you hear the voice of God and you're turning from sin and turning toward God, a prayer of confession. Uh, Or maybe this is a day uh, where you've heard the voice of God and you're going to turn to him for the first time and say yes to Jesus in genuine faith. Let me pray for you, and then the prayer uh, leaders are at the corners here. They're available to pray with you. Let's pray together. We come before you, God, in awe of your sovereign, eternal plan that you loved us so much that you gave Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins so that we could be restored to a relationship and we could know you in an authentic way. I pray for each person here that you would draw each person to you who needs prayer. I pray this through Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.